He represents democracy and freedom at its strongest, and they've put him in prison. It's in everyone's interest that Julian is freed. It's a disgusting injustice that demeans our democracies and has a real effect on our freedoms because it sets a precedent. What they're doing to Julian, they will do. It's not just that they can do, they will do to others. It's a matter of time. Hello there, how are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Cake Wallet, who I have recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Now, Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share important information with unnecessary third parties. With Cake Wallet, not only can you hodl Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching. The app is also designed to make it very easy for you to set up your wallet and back up your keys. If you want to find out more, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. Now, BCB Group provide online business banking services for companies in the Bitcoin and wider crypto industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty in finding a payment service provider that understands Bitcoin and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB and I could not be happier. BCB clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in UK and Europe but they are now expanding globally. They have an amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this. If you're looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies, rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you may want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it's Compass Mining, and they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs too, and I am mining Bitcoin with Compass. I've been mining for over 10 months, and I've already mined over 0.7 Bitcoin, which has more than paid off two of my S19s. Anyone can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched the Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is based on a number of factors, such as price, mine age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I am happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. If you are interested in mining and you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Also, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm still only buying. Come on, look at this market. It is the time to buy. We're not sellers right now, are we? Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying these dips, and I have also set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did, all you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Stella, nice to meet you. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Uh, Gabe, good to see you again. How yeah, are you? You too, Peter. Yeah, very good, thanks. Father's good? 
Yes, yes, getting there. You know, we're um, keeping on, keeping on, basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, obviously, you know, I have a huge interest in Julian's story. Uh, we've not met before, Stella, but it's great to meet you, and I appreciate your time, Gabe. We've spoken a few times. I've also spoken to your father. Uh, every time uh, I get to see you, I, I always hope the next time it's when we have uh, some positive development. Um, but this uh, case of Julian's is dragging on and on. Uh, firstly, can I can I just apologise for Preeti Patel and our government? She doesn't represent all of us. Uh, I think uh, the the conduct of our government, which is now in disarray at the moment anyway, is um, not representative of my, me or a lot of people, I, I should say that. Um, but um, I do keep hoping that at some point we're going to have one of these times when we get together, probably not with a microphone, maybe a beer instead and be celebrating something. So, um, yeah, I think I think my starting point, Stella, actually, I'll come to you first. Uh, how are you coping with everything? Uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fighting for Julian's life, so... Every day is uh, is different. There are really difficult days, obviously. Uh, my priority is being there for Julian and trying to advance the campaign, talk as much as I can about it, um, inform people because they're incredibly ignorant, uh, not will willingly, uh, just misinformed. There has been such um, a construction of a narrative around Julian that has nothing to do with reality. So a lot of what I do is to try to talk to talk about Julian as he is as a person um, and try to set the record straight. Okay. And yourself and, and your father, John, how are you all coping? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, in, in comparison to how Julian's doing, we're, we're, we're doing great. You know, we're sitting here with you, um, talking talking to people all over the world, I think, you know, what we're seeing uh, around the world and what we're feeling from people is um, more and more support uh, for Julian, uh, you know, around the globe, whether it's, uh, you know, in Australia, in the US, in England. And that really, um, you know, that helps you keep going, keep going against, uh, you know, when you're fighting against this huge adversary, which is sort of the United States government, basically. Um, that support from all these people like yourself and and. Uh, just, you know, people on the streets, um, ministers in parliament, uh, everyone, that, that, that sort of keeps us going, uh, keep, keeps us able to keep fighting. So, yeah, I think, you know, we're doing good. But Julian, you know, he's, it's his third year in a, in a maximum security uh, prison outside of London. So he's been there for three years. He's just turned 51. It's his fourth birthday that he's spent uh, in a maximum security prison, and he's a a remand prisoner. He's not serving a sentence. Uh, he's solely there at the request of the USDOJ re uh, related to this extradition request. They oppose his bail. So uh, that's um, you know compared to Julian, we're doing we're doing all right. So talk talk to me about how Julian is doing because um, uh, he's obviously a hero of many people, but whereas. Uh, you know, a decade ago, we would see Julian in the press a lot. We see a lot of his pictures. Now we tend to see a picture. There's, a, there's big time periods between when we see pictures of him and you know, he looks like he's changed a lot. His physical appearance changes a lot. Um, how is he doing? Uh, obviously, I know it's tough on him and this has affected his mental health. Uh, is, there any is there any good things you can tell us as well? Is there any positives for him? 
Well, I see. I mean, you got married, so. Yeah, we got married and um, we were able to have four guests, um, Gabriel and John, uh, Julian's dad, and my mom and my brother and the two kids, so six in total. Um, and that was a really nice, happy day. Um, Julian's mood is when he sees the kids, uh, which is about once a week, and he sees me, and um, he lights up. But obviously, every every day is a struggle. Um, Belmarsh Prison is the UK's harshest prison. They call it Britain's Guantanamo, and uh, it's tough in there. You know, he's with he's with um, Category A prisoners, people who are convicted and serving sentences for very serious crimes. Um, and so his day-to-day is, is very challenging. And in a prison, you don't have any control over your environment and anything can happen. So as an example, one of the um, people he had developed a friendship with committed suicide. Um, and this was in the middle of the COVID lockdown. So that was, you know, you can just imagine for Julian, with all the pressures of facing a an extradition an outrageous case by the U.S., which is politically motivated. He faces a potential sentence of 175 years. And then just this kind of thing that, you know, he can't even, you can't anticipate it. Um, and when a, f- a friend of yours um, takes his own life, that's that's really difficult to process uh, under any circumstances. So just... Uh, Julian has to deal with a lot in preparing for a case, a very complex legal case. He's fighting for his life under circumstances where he's fighting with both hands tied behind his back because that's a reality. If you're fighting a case from prison, there's just no comparison to um, fighting it in freedom. So, uh, you know, it, it changes depending on what's going on, the the Home Secretary of the UK just a few weeks ago um, approved, a couple of weeks ago, um, give, gave the go-ahead for the US extradition. Now we're still appealing that in the courts. And because of the Home Secretary's profile, pretty Patel, um, we suspected that she would do that. But even so, it was it, it's a blow, you know. It's it's even though you you prepare for for this kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of anxiety attached to it, and um, and it's a lot to process. So um, he's he's uh, you know he's a fighter. He's the strongest person I know, uh, but obviously he's he's deeply affected physically as well from being inside a harsh prison for over three years, needlessly, completely arbitrarily stuck in a, in a prison. Um, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a thinker. He's an intellectual, he's a gentle person, a gentle, um, thinker. He's not a dangerous person by any measure. Um, and they've stuck him in, in, this uh, horror of a place. Um, so 
you know, he's he's uh he's managing, but he's managing because he can see his family, because he can, you know, hold his children and that kind of thing. But it's it's very hard. Yeah. So um, as we talked beforehand about a lot of this audience that listens to my shows in America, and they, they probably won't have heard of Belmarsh Prison. And I'll, I will set the context. It's that it's a prison that's quite notorious when you're growing up because it's on the news, it's mentioned on the news, usually because it houses the most serious murderers, rapists, gangsters in, in London. It's a notorious, harsh, tough prison. So people should be aware that they've essentially uh, locked Julian up with the the kind of worst criminals in the yeah. UK. Okay, so we've covered this on the show before and I will encourage people to go back and listen to the previous shows. Uh, there's always new people coming to listen to my show. I think a lot of people have uh, uh, sympathy and empathy towards Julian and, and yourself, uh, but maybe don't understand the full details of the case. Now, I don't think we should go through all of it because it has been covered before, but certainly some kind of recap of... Uh, how Julian has, has ended up where he is now? Well, uh, Julian is the founder of WikiLeaks, and um, he is the the driving force behind WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks uh, basically grew out of a movement in the early 2000s for open government and transparency. And Julian was also against the Iraq War. And uh, there was a quite a a vibrant anti-war movement around that time. And so WikiLeaks was established in 2006. Uh, there were several similar projects around the time for open government, and a lot of the freedom of information legislation came in around that time too, and, uh, and in that context. And there were similar projects, but WikiLeaks' uh, innovation was Julian's um, skills and knowledge about cryptography and a deep understanding of the architecture of the internet. And he understood the problem that as journalism um, and society moved on to the internet, journalists would have to be able to protect their sources in a different way. And Julian's a cryptographer originally, um, and a security expert, um, computer security expert, and so he uh, applied uh, cryptography to this problem of protecting sources. And so WikiLeaks then broke onto the scene pretty quickly, started getting a lot of attention because of the high-value sources that WikiLeaks was getting um, in relation to China, Kenya, Peru, uh, really big, um, significant publications. And WikiLeaks... Um, there are many ways to see WikiLeaks, but you could see WikiLeaks as, as basically, um, Julian has described it as a, um, a rebel uh, library of Alexandria. Uh, imagine the approach of WikiLeaks is to publish, insofar as is possible, original source documents. Um, and that means that WikiLeaks transcends journalism in the sense that WikiLeaks material has been able to be used in, um, for example, in uh, in legal cases, uh, presented as evidence. Even the UK Supreme Court has used uh, WikiLeaks cables um, as evidence in relation to a case relating to the Chagos Islands. 
Um, and before the um, European Court of Human Rights in relation to a CIA rendition case, uh, which was won partly in, in relation, uh, thanks to those WikiLeaks documents. So um, Julian is indicted in relation to five specific publications in 2010. These were supplied by a U.S. Army whistleblower called Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning was convicted in 2013 to 35 years in prison. Um, during this time, uh, the U.S. had opened an investigation in relation to WikiLeaks for these publications. Uh, they relate to the wars um, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, U.S. Embassy cables, Guantanamo Bay, uh, detainee camp, and uh, in relation to a collateral murder, a video called Collateral Murder. This is the helicopter killing of the Reuters journalists. Yes, yes. and about 12, 12 civilians were killed yeah. um, and two children were severely injured. Um, and, and that video depicts a war crime, at least one war crime, possibly two. Uh, so, President Obama, at the end of his tenure, basically, um, he freed Chelsea Manning the day before he left office. Uh, so, Manning served seven years. And the Obama administration also announced, uh, their Department of Ju Justice announced, that they were not going to prosecute Julian over the Chelsea Manning leaks because Julian is a publisher, not a hacker. That was the statement by the DOJ sp spokesperson, uh, whose name is Matthew Miller, the tweets are on Twitter, anyone can check. Uh, and that the Obama administration was not willing to prosecute Julian because of the precedent that that would set for the press generally. There was no way, basically, there's no way to prosecute Julian over these publications because to do so would mean that you are setting a precedent that means that you can prosecute journalists for doing journalism. What happened? Trump administration came in. The Trump administration had a very adversarial relationship to the press and they wanted a precedent. They wanted a case. Um, to be able to go after the press. So it wasn't that, uh, you know, the Trump administration went and decided to indict Julian in spite of the risk that that would pose to uh, press freedom and to the First Amendment. They did it because of it, because that would be it, enable them to do so because, you know, the, uh, the rest of the press was um, also in their sights. And... Um, now the Biden administration is is continuing that prosecution. Um, why is Julian being prosecuted? It's partly because of a increasingly aggressive approach to trying to chill the press, chill uh, openness. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a reaction to both WikiLeaks and the Snowden publications. Um, 
if you think about it, back in the 2000s, uh, the idea of an open government and transparency and so on was, that was like mainstream uh, buzzwords, you know. No one talks about transparency anymore. And uh, WikiLeaks kind of um, is the expression of um, the right to truth, to open government, to transparency at its um, strongest. And what we've seen is a backlash now um, going in, in the other direction. And um, in tandem with other restrictions on our um, freedom of speech, um, uh, government trying to legislate, you know, um, on social media platforms, um, pushing against encryption, so on. Uh, it's all part of a, a package of um, an attack on our freedoms. And Julian's case is not just symbolic of this tendency, it is a, um, a wedge through which they're intending to um, really drive home these, these changes. Yeah, um, one of the interesting things in following the case is that Julian doesn't have universal support, even though he has a lot of support. Um, and I've heard this discussed quite a bit, that it doesn't matter what you think of Julian, you should separate your personal opinions of Julian and understand what's at stake here. And um, I think that's one of the, the bigger points, right, Gabe? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess one of the things about Julian's support is, is he, Julian has suffered years and years of demonization. And, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, sex allegations or, um, you know, allegations that he was, uh, you know, a bad house guest in the, in the Ecuadorian embassy or, or, or things like that, but it's these years and years of demonization that have sort of allowed this uh, prosecution to come about, uh, you know, without, uh, without, this, without the removing of Julian's support, um, then uh, this prosecution wouldn't have been able to move forward as easily as it had. So, you know, I often say, well, if, if there wasn't a, if, if they didn't have Julian to do this, then they would have to create one, right? Because the, the aim is to sort of, as Stella was saying, you see this sort of, you know, especially in the, in the US, the First Amendment is becoming this walled garden. It's, it's, it's sort of going tighter and tighter. Um, you know, you can see on social media, the social media platforms, you know, cutting back, you know, cancel culture, things like that. Uh, and with what's happening to Julian, it's this um, national security reporting. So, you know, this indictment has made uh, basically even possessing uh, classified information under this indictment is illegal. So, Essentially, when, when I was in the US a couple of weeks ago, you know, we're talking to reporters there, um, people, you know, from the in Intercept or Washington Post, and they all have classified information on their desks, every, every single one of them. So under this indictment, <laughs> they all could be potentially prosecuted under the Espionage Act. So that's how broad, um, broad this sort of attack on First Amendment and press freedom is. But it, is it is also a global issue right now. Um, we have similar issues with the UK. We have very, very weak free speech laws. We have quite strong uh, uh, libel laws. We, we, you know, you as a lawyer would be perfectly aware of how 
certain Russian oligarchs have used the UK courts to silence journalists. I know in Australia, there's uh, certain questions about press freedom. I think uh, Canada has highlighted itself as somewhere that has uh, significant issues with press freedom. So it's not only uh, an issue and symbolic for the US, but I think it's symbolic for a global problem. Yeah, it is. And and uh, that's what's happening to Julian is also, uh, it's this sort of extraterritorial uh, application of, of US law. So it's part of this, like you say, it's a global problem, like a, a reporter in Germany uh, could potentially be whacked with a extradition order uh, for reporting about the US, you know, US secrets or confidential information. Um, so it, in that respect, in, in, the, in the terms of its globalness, there is that element to the extraterritorial application of US law. But I, um, I think, yes, generally, you're right, like we are going down that track. Um, and, and Julian's case is, uh, you know, at the forefront of that, uh, of that fight, which is what makes it so important. And, and it really isn't about Julian the person, it's about what's at stake for everybody else. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, uh, the case against Julian is so absurd. I mean, consider, uh, as an example, a mirror case, uh, the BBC published police documents from the Chinese police about the Uyghur detention camps. Mm -hmm. Imagine now that the Chinese DOJ would send an extradition request for a British, the British journalist who, who did that report. That's what's happening here. Julian is not an American citizen. He's an Australian. He was working from the UK. He was invited to the UK by the Guardian. Julian has no uh, obligations towards a foreign government. Just like no British journalist has an obligation towards the Turkish government to keep Turkish secrets, especially if those secrets reveal the Turkish government committing crimes. Um, so the whole proposition is completely absurd and outrageous. Um, of course, the UK is, is a close ally to the UK. Uh, the US government is, you know, the, the UK's closest ally. That's the power dynamic that's going on. Well, I think we're, we've become more of a US lackey. Um, and the reason I say that is my understanding of the law, and you will be more versed in this than I am, but it's very much a one-way treatment of the law. Uh, so am I right in understanding that we've removed the requirement for something to be just, and now it comes down to, is this reasonable under US law? And if so, then we would extradite somebody. So we've lost our British principles of what is just and what is unjust, which is very un-British. Did I get that right? Pretty much. I mean, the extradition treaty between the US and the UK was rushed through in the immediate aftermath after 9-11. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was rushed through basically with the excuse at the time as a lot of this terrible legislation was um, that, you know, uh, terrorism um, requires a, a loosening of our safeguards and we need to get people, make it easier to extradite people to the United States. Um, and they did that by 
approving a very unequal treaty between the U.S. and the U.K. So Julian is fighting this extradition um, through a very uh, weak um, uh, mechanism. For example, the U.S. doesn't have to show any a prima facie case. They just have to say, um, basically, this is this is we want him, and um, there's no there's no test on on the evidence. We can't cross examine the prosecutors on the case on their claims. Um, it's a it's a set of very technical. Um, questions about whether the bars to extradition that are in the Extradition Act apply or not. And in fact, without getting into too much detail, the very extradition is a breach of the US-UK extradition treaty. Julian is accused under the US 1917 Espionage Act. He's not accused of espionage per se, but the... um, wording of that act is so broad and so vague that it says that if you receive, possess, and communicate information that the U.S. says potentially could harm national security without defining national security, um, then you could be charged and convicted of espionage. And that's 170 years of the 175-year indictment relate to this Espionage Act, and those are the charges. Does the vagueness allow them to... Uh, essentially persecute Julian whilst not going after New York Times reporters. No, there's no dis- like. But but is that is that why the hypocrisy can exist because it's so broad? Because the if you if you hold the same bar that Julian is being extradited for, you could also be charging journalists who work at Washington Post. They've tried to use yeah. it against the New York Times. Oh, they have? Yeah, yeah. They tried to use it uh, during uh, the Ellsberg case back huh. in the 70s. So this this Espionage Act, uh, you know, it's 1917 law, um, brought in to basically um, lock up people who were against World War One, right? And so over time, uh, the the sort of it's it's been broadened and, and sort of repurposed. Uh, you know, uh, it was used. So it started off people, seditious people, right, going after people who were against the war, World War One. Then um, for a long time it was never used again. And then uh, when Daniel Ellsberg, the Pentagon Papers leaker, um, he leaked a uh, huge uh, raft of documents uh, about the Vietnam War that eventually led to the end of the Vietnam War and also formed part of Nixon's impeachment, his, his case. So uh, that's when it was sort of repurposed and, and gone to look at whistleblowers, right? And so now uh, you have uh, the Espionage Act that can go after whistleblowers. Um, his prosecution was, found, was thrown out because um, it was found out that, the, that the, his, his psychologist was being spied on. So his case was thrown out. But during that time, uh, they attempted to use it against the New York Times as well for, for uh, publishing uh, that, that information, uh, which the New York Times, uh, I think they, they managed to fight and it got thrown out. But... Over the next period, and particularly under Obama, it got re-energized again, the Espionage Act, and, and there were uh, multiple uh, multiple prosecutions against whistleblowers. Uh, and, you know, I think four or five, even more. Uh, most recently, Daniel Hale, who uh, blew the whistle on the drone 
dr- civilian drone killings under the Obama administration. He was convicted under the Espionage Act, but it's sort of now been broadened uh, to go after uh, people who publish the information. So they're trying again. You know, they failed once, uh, and now they're trying again uh, to, to go after publishers with this law. U.S. constitutional lawyers have been warning since that Pentagon Papers case 51 years ago that the Espionage Act would one day, could one day be used by uh, the U.S. government to go after publishers. So this thing, this um, scary prediction that they've that has been, you know, um, discussed for the past 51 years has come to pass now with the prosecution indictment of Julian. That's the very, it's unprecedented. It is the first time that they go after a publisher for journalistic activity. Julian received the information from a source, which was Chelsea Manning. He performed the role of a journalist. But if you start um, treating the source and the publisher as the same, which is what this does, um, then you're making journalism a crime. And you're saying... uh, to your question, um, is the problem that this is so broad? The issue is that they cannot distinguish. This is what the Obama administration was saying. They cannot distinguish what Julian did from what the New York Times did in this very publication. Mm. So when you set this precedent, it means that the New York Times knows that at any moment the DOJ can prosecute the New York Times, for the WikiLeaks publications. It is not just um, the legal precedent that it sets um, that you can now go after publishers for doing journalism. It is the fact that the U.S. government can chill the press in the knowledge that they know that, uh, that editors everywhere are looking at this case and are saying, well, we can't publish that because they're going to they're gonna use the Assange precedent against us. They're getting leaks all the time. But if a Chelsea Manning goes to any journalist uh, nowadays, are they going to publish? You'd be mad. Look at what they're doing to Julian for publishing. Uh, No one's going to put their life uh, on the line anymore to to be treated the way Julian is. And that is having a serious chilling effect on the press. That's why the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Guardian, um, you know, publications that don't necessarily have much um, personal sympathy for Julian, uh, have come out to condemn this prosecution because they understand... um, The implications for themselves. Yes, and and I'm sure that they are receiving things that they're not publishing because their lawyers are telling them, now with the Assange case... You cannot do this. You cannot publish because we are going to end up in a legal battle and criminal prosecutions and, you know, you might go to prison. Hmm. So why why do these press publications not have much sympathy for Julian? Um, the Guardian in the UK invited Julian to come to, um, to London to publish these Chelsea Manning leaks in cooperation and partnership. Um, now, The Guardian, it's pretty clear that, they're, that um, they all have an obligation to Julian as a source and have um, seriously violated that duty that they have to protecting 
um, their source. But WikiLeaks was also their partner because WikiLeaks is a publisher. And there was a lot of rivalry um, with WikiLeaks um, because WikiLeaks came onto the scene and just um, had the biggest scoops. The WikiLeaks publications about the Iraq and Afghan wars, the, the U.S. embassy cables, they are still being cited um, daily in news reports uh, because it is in 250,000 cables of every, co co every country in the world. Um, uh, journalists are mining them constantly. Uh, so Julian had... Um, these massive innovations to how to do journalism and uh, published at scale. Uh, it was just at the beginnings of data journalism, but WikiLeaks um, really uh, harnessed the potential of data journalism by entering into partnerships with other media organizations to mine the information, to put it into context and to publish together. Um, I think the, the Guardian saw uh, Julian and WikiLeaks is a, a big reputational rival because Julian was also very critical of how the legacy media did journalism. WikiLeaks' approach, and this was in the deal that they had with the other media organization, was, yes, you can publish WikiLeaks material, but we will publish the original document alongside your report. And there had never been... It's what Julian called scientific journalism. Yes, journalists um, should analyze material, but there should also be some kind of peer review. You have to present what you are basing your analysis on so that others can look at it and check that the analysis is sound. This is a huge um, challenge to the kind of gatekeeper yeah, uh, right. role of the media. <laughs> yeah. And they were really threatened by it. And of yeah. course, when WikiLeaks was, um, when these publications were underway, Julian would, you know, go on to uh, CNN or whatever and say, look at The Guardian, you know, they've reported on this cable, but they've ignored this important fact. And, you know, it's really questionable the way they reported this thing. Um, and so uh, there was a, they didn't like that. And they didn't like that Julian was, you know, this such a big figure all of a sudden in what was considered, uh, you know, it's quite a, a closed domain, a kind of, um, especially in the UK, uh, the, the journalistic uh, um, uh, world is pretty backstabbing and, you know, it's, it's a closed um, environment. And here was Julian, and everyone uh, wanted to know, you know, he had a, a, a massive profile, bigger than any of the editors of The Guardian, New York Times, and so on. So um, there was a lot of rivalry and jealousy, I think, but mm. uh, also Julian did things differently, and he was forcing innovation into journalism. And then there's also a whole lot of other stuff at the Guardian broke its written agreement with Julian um, and then they uh, revealed the password of the cables mm. as a as a 
uh, heading in the book that they were they wrote about WikiLeaks, and then that led to the publication of the unredacted cables online, which compromised potential people in the field. Um, well, WikiLeaks had been rolling out the cable publication um, over a nine-month period, entered into partnership with about 100 media organizations, five initially, the five big ones, and then rolled it out country by country. And it was a huge, enormous, laborious um, process. And uh, in the meantime, The Guardian was selling film rights to Hollywood for a terrible film that no one remembers. And I can't even remember that. It was a film? <laughs> It, it was it was a box office um, flop, uh, but anyway, they, the Guardian basically to set the narrative because they had already fallen out with Julian and violated the written agreement, um, put out this book, um, and then tried to you know s talk about everything they knew about Julian and and cast him in a in a negative light and so on. But they rushed it out, and then one of the things they did to in violation of that uh, written agreement was to disclose a password that Julian had given to the cables. And this this um, this password was, you know, very, very long. It's a whole sentence. I think it's a collection of uh, history of the world from 1977 to the present Day. Okay, all together with special characters and so on. And they also said, and Julian told us that we should include a word, a salt, that you should never write down. That word is diplomatic. And you insert it between world and history. I, I might, uh, uh, I'm not accurate on the actual password, but mm. this is... And they put it in the book. They put in book the book that the word that they should never write down. <laughs> I mean, it was complete idiocy. Okay, so they did that, and then eventually, the encrypted um, um, file was with the diplomatic cables, which had you know the strongest possible encryption, was completely uh, unbreakable. Were it not for the Guardian publishing as its title heading this password, including the salt that should never have written down. So it's just... Um, yeah, well done, The Guardian. Yeah. So they have a lot of, you know, the, the Guardian's approach to Julian has a lot of uh, self-interest in preserving their side of the narrative. Hmm. Uh, and which has, has, you know, The Guardian, its institutional editorial position is, of course, uh, that Julian should not be extradited, that he should be freed, and so on. There's been a change of management. Uh, the Guardian, through the years, has also done terrible things, like pushing the um, fabricated um, stories uh, around uh, Russiagate and so on. They even published as a front-page story that Paul Manafort had visited Julian in the embassy three times. That is one of the most embarrassing um, uh, journalistic fails in history. God, um, complete lie. Yeah. yeah, it's complete fabrication. Like not not one ounce, not one not one visit, nothing. Um, so uh, so the the Guardian has failed, um, and also 
allowed itself to be instrumentalized, basically, to uh, in in a smear campaign against Julian in the lead up to his arrest. Okay, before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. From the people behind sportsbet.io, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, Big Casino is the best Bitcoin casino out there. To find out more about Big Casino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for this future financial world. And for those people living in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. You can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases forever. And you can earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. Now, if you want to stack sats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions. All available at BLOCKFI.com. Next up is the Pacific Bitcoin Conference, hosted by Swan Bitcoin on November the 10th and 11th this year in sunny Los Angeles. Now, I've known Yan, Brady and Corey for years, and they're pulling out all the stops to make this the biggest Bitcoin-only event ever. I'll be emceeing the conference along with my friends Natalie Brunel and Stefan Levera, and there's going to be an incredible lineup of speakers. This conference is going to be the right mix of education and good fun with unique experiences such as a surf simulator and an 80s arcade gaming lounge. They are inviting the smartest minds in the Bitcoin space to discuss a range of topics from macro to nation-state adoption and from mining to lightning. Whether you want to attend or sponsor the event, you can find out more at pacificbitcoin.la, which is P-A-C-I-F-I-C-B-I-T-C-O-I-N dot L-A. Also, we have Ledger, and the world's most popular wallet just got better. Ledger has recently announced the launch of their Nano S+. With a larger screen, it is now easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same level of high security as all other Ledger products. I have been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. If you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. I mean, a lot of people consider the Guardian a bit of a shit rack here, so you, you you don't have anyone on this side of the table who really particularly cares for for that newspaper. Um, so, with regards to the extradition, uh, we've talked about um, the judge originally rejected it. Um, uh, the U.S. government appealed, uh, came down to the Home Secretary, uh, Preeti Darth Vader Patel. Um, who uh, I had no confidence for you, I'm afraid, once uh, I knew she was making the decision because she's uh, uh, quite an authoritarian. Um, did you watch she, she did? So when she signed, she signed the extradition order and um, the Wall Street Journal reported 
that she'd had asked the US DOJ for an acknowledgement, like thank you for signing, like she'd requested a thank you from the US <laughs> DOJ for, uh, for um, signing the extradition order and that was leaked to the Wall Street Journal. So, but the US DOJ refused to give her the thank you. But what they, what they did send uh, was um, the ex-director of the CIA, Mike Pompeo, over to the UK for a photo opportunity with the UK Home Secretary. Really? Yeah. So this was a, huh. this came out. You know, she tweeted it out. You know, look at me with um, here's me with Mike Pompeo, uh, ex CIA director. After I signed off on you know Julian Assange's extradition the week before. I mean, she's a huge piece of shit, and I don't mind yeah. saying that. I'll, I'll get told off by my producers, but I I think she's a piece of shit, and um, and I had I had very little hope once I realised it would be her. Uh, uh, given the decision, because um, I think she's an authoritarian, uh, and I also think she's a career politician, and she has her eyes on yeah bigger prizes. But so be it. Um, uh, she, I doubt she listens to this podcast. But if you do, Preeti, you're a piece of shit. Um, so where are we now with uh, appeals? Is it going up to the Supreme Court? No, the next stage is the High Court. High Court. Uh, so basically, just to simplify. Yes, Julian won initially. The U.S. then basically changed the goalposts, wrote a letter to the U.K. government. The government, the letter is um, ridiculous. Um, what do you do in U.K.? We're in charge. Yeah, basically they gave the U.K. Uh, uh, an excuse to approve it. Um, and... Now we're we're appealing that decision, the decision to reverse it. Um, so we're we're basically now at the stage where we are appealing all the substantive press freedom arguments. Um, the fact this is politically motivated, that he's accused under um, a, politi a political offense uh, under the Espionage Act, um, but also the abuse of of process that the U.S. has engaged in. In, relation, in order to pursue this prosecution. So while Julian, Julian was inside the embassy, he was there for seven years. They spied on him? They spied on him, um, but they didn't just spy on him. The, the security company that was working inside the embassy is registered in Spain. And yes. now we know a lot of things about that because um, as soon as Julian was arrested, a couple of the workers who were working in that security company um, went initially to El País and then went to the police and basically reported on all the illegal activity that they had been engaged in, uh, whistleblowers from this security company. Um, and now the CEO of that company is um, facing criminal charges in Spain. Good. They raided his home. They seized um, hard drives and equipment they found uh, two guns with the serial number filed off. Um, you know, these, these are sinister characters. And um, it turns out these whistleblowers uh, disclosed that they were receiving instructions from the CIA, the CIA that Mike Pompeo was heading up at the time. Uh, and those instructions included... Um, hiding microphones under the fire extinguishers inside the embassy. This was without Ecuador's knowledge, obviously. So uh, they were actually working for the CIA inside the Ecuadorian embassy. 
Um, and to spy on Julian and spy on his lawyers, spy on his legal meetings. Uh, and the recordings from his meetings were then physically transported to the United States and had it handed over to the handlers. Um, but not just that. They were instructed, for example, to um, to uh, obtain the DNA of our six-month-old baby at the time. He was six months old. Um, by stealing a soiled nappy in order to get the DNA. Um, they, you know, followed me, followed my mom, uh, s photographed the um, uh, legal notes of, of lawyers who were visiting, um, stole medical um, notes and uh, from the doctors that were... That were um, um, visiting Julian and and examining him and and so on. But this is far more extreme than the um, the case you brought up uh, previously, where they were spying on uh, was it uh, Daniel Spook's yeah, psychiatrist? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, this is a significant yes. the increased scope on that. Yeah, there, there's a an incredible uh, investigation that was published in September last year. Uh, three investigative journalists. Um, Based in DC, no, uh, you know, no personal sympathy towards Julian from them. Uh, they're national security uh, um, journalists, investigative journalists, and they published this story. With they had over thirty sources, three zero uh, in the U.S. national security um, agent, not national, uh, in, in the CIA and National Security Council. Uh, who had served under the Trump administration and said that Mike Pompeo was obsessed with Julian, obsessed with WikiLeaks, um, and obsessed with taking down WikiLeaks, and that uh, it became top priority for the CIA. Imagine, like this is because a, a, a small publisher publishes um, stuff that embarrasses the U.S. government. And the WikiLeaks had published uh, Vault 7, which was a, a, yeah. a leak of uh, uh, CIA handbooks about their um, hacking tools. And so Mike Pompeo was heading up the CIA and was absolutely enraged by uh, this publication and then basically turned the CIA into his revenge um, uh, uh, tool against WikiLeaks. And that meant um, a range of different um, actions ranging from planting stories that were false in the media. And we saw a lot of that uh, across uh, 2017, 2018, leading up to Julian's arrest, basically preparing the political ground to weaken his political support, um, to cast all sorts of um, falsehoods around his character and reputation and so on, uh, basically to create this effect that we were talking about that oh, doesn't matter what you think about Julian. What do people think about Julian? Like, where does that come from? know that's been uh, that shaped and that that uh, and it shifted for some people well 
during that time, like the you know the the CIA has one of its main functions has been its inter its its uh, utilization of press, um, you know for for since since the beginning, um, shaping perception, shaping propaganda, and uh, there was a massive propaganda effort in relation to Julian and WikiLeaks in order to silence him and imprison him. That was the end goal. Um, there were also plans to kidnap him from the embassy, plans to assassinate him, specific plans about poisoning. And what's incredible is that you have this Spanish case and these whistleblowers who are talking about, yeah, we were talking about how to poison him and how to leave the door open so that deniably they could take him out of the embassy and kidnap him. And then you have this CIA story from DC talking about how Mike Pompeo was ordering sketches and options about how to take out Julian, how to assassinate him, how to kidnap him, and so on. This is the same Mike Pompeo who had a photo opportunity with Priti Patel who yeah. signed off on the extradition order a couple of weeks ago. Same person. But it's very P Putin-esque <laughs> in strategy to assassinate people on foreign soil. Yeah, you wouldn't expect it. You know, in a Western democracy, no, nobody expects these things to happen. But uh, you know, in Julian's case, they do. That was um, that was a like significant change in the scope for me when, when it was um, revealed that they were looking at options to assassinate him. That that for me was like, hold on, holy, like I, I, I know the U.S. government and the U.K. government have a particularly checkered history, but that that is a significant change. That 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 is something you expect from you know, the Russian state, yeah. maybe the Chinese state, but for a, what, like you say, a Western liberal democracy to to be murdering but considering the murder of a, a journalist a, a, a truth teller on uh on foreign soil i mean it's it's this is a, this is the strategy of putin this is what he does and the trump administration there were people within the national security council who then became sources for this story mm. who were you know who were saying this was out of control. Yeah. But, uh, if, but if they're looking to extradite him, surely this would be, form part of your appeal that okay. you know, he's a he's a person whose life is, there's a credible threat against his life now. Yeah. So this is one of the arguments that we're going to um, introduce that wasn't previously part of our arguments because it hadn't been published yet, um, that you're talking about an extradition to the country that has plotted Julian's assassination. Mm -hmm. This is a, <laughs> by any standard, this is, a, you know, not permissible. Um, the case is completely outrageous for, for, you know, for the reasons I've explained before. Like, uh, um, he's, he's being prosecuted for journalism. Um, and if it were, and, and you know, countries all around the world are, are are shouting at the U.S. and the U.K. for the incredible hypocrisy um, when they're talking about press freedom, and at the same time they have Julian in prison for years on end. Mm. Um, the, the wheels of justice here move very slowly. Um, what when will the appeal be heard? Uh, depending on how that goes, what is the next steps? 
could this drag out for a few more years here? No, we're we're um, we're expecting it to be now a matter of months. Uh, okay. Yeah, not 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 years, not a year, less than a year, probably six months or so. And God forbid that appeal fails. What happens after that? <sighs> Julian's um, indicted in the Eastern District of Virginia okay. in a court where no national security defendant has ever won. Um, he is prosecuted under the Espionage Act, and there is no public interest defense under the Espionage Act. It means that because they've repurposed a, basically a spy law to a journalist, um, he has no way of mounting a defense. If you take away the ability of a journalist to justify why they've published something, and you make publishing it a crime, then it's automatically, um, it's, you know, a given that he will be convicted. And then uh, aside from that, the U.S. government says <laughs> that because he's not a U.S. citizen, he does not enjoy First Amendment rights. I mean, imagine this. They're applying their criminal laws extraterritorially to a foreigner who is publishing abroad, and then they say, and when we come, you come here, you won't be able to invoke constitutional rights because you're not from here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. In terms of support, with people listening, how, how can they support? Uh, are you, uh, in terms of legal funds, how, how is that going? In terms of other support, how can, how can people help you really? Well, each, I mean, in, in in the in the UK, we're about to launch on a um, a, a tour with our with a film um, that I produced along with Adrian uh, Devant, which is a film about John and Stella's fight to free Julian. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, what we're trying to do with that film is really, you know, attack, uh, go after the sort of um, you know this demonization of Julian and show the Julian that we know that we experience, you know, that that. Um, his friends and family know this gentle, kind uh, genius. So uh, we are launching that film all around the UK this month. So you can come and see, uh, come and see that film. Uh, you can go to the website ithica.movie if you're in the UK. I think we've got 24 uh, cinemas around the UK. We're adding more and more. Uh, in if you're in the US, we are, we're always asking people to speak to their Congress people, speak to their representatives. Uh, let them know how they, uh, you know, let them know how they care about this case. You know what it means to them, what it means to their, you know, First Amendment rights, uh, their democratic rights. Do you do you have any support within Congress? You mentioned earlier that there has been some support from uh, people in the UK government. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so there is, I think, twenty four. I think there was about twenty four MPs who signed on to a letter um, to the Biden administration from from within the UK government. Uh, in Congress, we're making progress there. Uh, John and I travel have travelled there about five times over the last year and a half. Uh, we are making progress there. You know, we're seeing Congress people there, uh, both on the left, uh, on the left and the right, who care about this uh, this issue. So we are building. Uh, you know, there's groups, there's parliamentary groups uh, all over the world. So in Australia, there's a group of 31 uh, parliamentarians, and that includes. 
the ex-deputy prime minister, the current prime minister is actually in Australia has actually spoken out and said, you know, enough's enough and, and that he can't see uh, what, ser- what purposes served in bringing Julian home. So, you know, we're getting this, um, you know, worldwide support from, from parliaments all over the world and we're building that in the US as well. One interesting one is the uh, president of Mex- Mexico, um, uh, President Obrador, he made a statement a couple of days ago saying, saying that, you know, if Julian's extradited, uh, the US should send the Statue of Liberty back to Paris. <laughs> like, so all around the world, people yeah. are speaking out uh, about this. I mean, if well, another one is China. So China, the Chinese foreign ministry is always saying to the, U, you know, the US's uh, Secretary Blinken, President Biden are always trying to say, you know, look at China's human rights record, look at their record on press freedoms. Now, the Chinese government, every time that something comes up like that, they say, well, look, you've got a journalist and a publisher in prison. Like, you can't say anything to us. Like, look, have a look at yourself uh, first. But so that's the, this is like a worldwide movement that's growing and, and we're really working on it in the US as well uh, and have, making some progress. But uh, it really is about, you know, people getting in touch with their representatives and letting them know they care because otherwise... You know, taking part in democracy basically is what is what we ask people uh, to do, and and voting is not enough. You just have to keep hammering away, you know, at, at them. You can't just do it once every four years. So that's uh, uh, those uh, a couple of easy things to do. Um, we do have there is a defence fund which I can uh, that they're running in the UK, which mm-hmm. uh, we can get you for the show notes. And yeah, that that's. Um, Basically, it, we're going, and while we tour around UK, we'll be asking people the same thing: talk to your MPs, uh, you know, let them know that this is something that you care about. That uh, because they ha- they need votes, and so you know they have to sort of act uh, if if their constituents want them to. This is a question I really want, would want to ask Julian himself, and so you may not be able to answer this, but it was something um, I was discussing with my brother on the way down, and we're kind of intrigued by the answer because I've, I've not heard it discussed, but. Uh, knowing everything he know he knows now and everything he's been through, I think I know the answer. But do you think he would have done everything the same? If you think about where things were at twelve years ago, it was a different. We were in a different world. Uh, you would have asked anyone. You would have asked, "Is the U.S. going to imprison Assange? Are they going to prosecute him?" anyone would have said impossible you know we are in a in a much more uh dangerous uh world now uh the surveillance powers of the state the attack on free speech the attack on the press um i don't think anyone could have anticipated this and you know julian is Above all, he's a free speech activist, and his presence uh, is so important in the debate, in just uh, being able to comment on on these issues. His absence is a huge um, uh, loss to anyone who cares about our freedoms, about free speech, about 
democratic, you know, uh, accountability, uh, accountability. And, uh, you know, I don't think people need to understand the ins and outs of the legal case. What this is, a it's a political pr persecution. It's politically motivated. It is a vindictive attack on a truth teller who is only, he's only done what, <laughs> he's basically put into practice our uh, liberties as they are um, defined in the law. Um, and, you know, he represents democracy and, and fr freedom at its strongest, and they've put him in prison. It's in everyone's interest that Julian is freed. It's a disgusting injustice that demeans our democracies and our and and has a real effect on our freedoms because it sets a precedent. What they're doing to Julian, they will do. It's not just that they can do; they will do to others. You know, it, it's a matter of time, and also just the the human aspect. I I I encourage everyone to look at videos of Julian on YouTube of him speaking, not what people say about him, of him. Because then you really see Julian's true character as he's a very thoughtful, compassionate person who is really trying to address and think about how to solve problems of injustice. And, um, you know, he's, he's a visionary, and this this fight is, you know, it's the press freedom fight of of our generation, but it is also uh, the the most important fight, um, generally for our liberties. Uh, that's a that's a brilliant way to close out. Um, but I will ask you just a couple more things, uh, just in case people don't check the show notes. Any specific web addresses you want them to go to? Uh, there's a crowd. Uh, I'm not sure, so they can go to uh, don't extradite. Assange.com, mm -hmm. uh, is it? Yeah. yeah. So don't extradite, uh, that's for the UK, don't extradite Assange, and assangedefense.org in the US. And he, that, sorry. Yeah, and uh, follow follow Gabriel and me on Twitter. Absolutely. Um, we are, you know, avid tweeters. And, uh, and, you know, I have open DMs. So any questions? Uh, are there any campaigns or protests planned? Oh, those will be on. Those will be on the, uh, on the website. yeah on the websites. Um, what's is there one coming up? Yeah, there's there's a uh, there's a uh, human chain uh, um, that's going to be. I think on the eighth of October. The 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 date might change uh, to go around Parliament. Um, I think that's we're still working out the 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 details of that. But uh, you can sign up to be. Uh, one of the parts of the chain, and there are our protests, um, and they'll be announced uh, on that website or or through my our twitters and so yeah. on. Yeah, we have group. There's uh, Assange groups all over the U.S. You know, okay. Denver, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, Minneapolis, um, all over the place. My and there are newsletters that you can sign up to. Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Well, listen, you have my full support. Um, uh, any time 
you want to come on the show, anything, I mean, Gabe knows, anytime he wants to come on the show and talk about this, it's uh, an open invite permanently. Um, I, I sympathize with you. I, I am still optimistic and, and hopeful for you. Um, have you managed to get him a skateboard at Belmarsh? Sorry? Have you managed to get him a skateboard yet at Belmarsh? <laughs> He's, uh, you know, Julian has a, he got a laptop after a year of asking um, in yeah. order to review his legal notes, but the keys are blued, glued down and they removed all the uh, text editing software. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, but the guards, many of the guards, guards are sympathetic. The prisoners, they say, you know, you shouldn't be here. Does he get on with the pr other prisoners? For the most part, but I mean, you know, there, there are people who are, so also guess. very disturbed who yeah. are in there and I worry about him and there are murders as well as suicides in mm. there it's it's a terrible terrible place well I apologize on behalf of Mike Andrea I'm sorry we have a, a home secretary and the likes of um, uh, Preeti Patel uh, there are other people who maybe uh, historically would have been in that role who uh, would have more integrity with regards to this um, and I'm, I'm I'm embarrassed that my country has done this, but um, you ha like I said, you have my full support. It's, uh, you can call me, text me anytime, anything you need, anything shared out, anything published, uh, you have my full support. Um, uh, yeah, I consider a Gabe a friend, and now I've got to know you, which is great. And uh, yeah, anything you want, please get in touch. And anyone listening, please do go check out these show notes. Let's, uh, let's give all the support we can towards Julian. Thank you very much, and Thanks. take care. And all the best to the kids. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing to do is head over to What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. 